This week on the In-Depth Podcast, Dick Vitale, the larger-than-life ESPN personality, has gone through quite the health scare in the last few months, so we're really appreciative of Vitale and his wife Lorraine for allowing us to document his journey. That included tagging along to his final chemotherapy treatment and seeing his jubilation when ringing the bell signaling he's cancer-free. You can check out those videos at youtube.com slash Bensinger. This isn't the first time I've had the pleasure of talking with Vital. A few years ago, he invited us to his Sarasota, Florida home to discuss his upbringing and early ESPN days. You can listen to that interview wherever you get your podcasts. As for this episode, we focus on the medical side of things from a frightening misdiagnosis. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would ever celebrate hearing you have some form of cancer, but it was like night and day the way they described to me the one versus the other. To his darkest days when he was unable to speak. I missed being me. I felt trapped. I felt trapped. I couldn't express myself. I just felt trapped. And his never-ending mission to raise money for cancer research. I am flat out obsessed that no child should have to suffer. No child should have to go through scans and blood work and all that. They should be out there playing. We'll also hear from members of Vital's family, as well as one of his doctors. But we begin with Vital sharing how a routine visit to the dermatologist may have saved his life. I wanted to start by taking you back to when you came back from a, a family vacation to Hawaii. It was a two-week extended trip celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary, and you go to the dermatologist. Uh, Graham, first of all, <clears throat> we had a great time. The whole family, 11 of us, and it was a blast. Came home, <clears throat> and my wife said to me, gee whiz, I forgot to tell you, you got an appointment at the dermatologist, your annual checkup, <clears throat> just an annual checkup. So I go there, <clears throat> and he finds a little spot by my nose here. And he said, it's nothing, Dick. He said, I'm just gonna burn it off. So he burned it off, but it didn't go away. So I went back, I said, yeah, the damn thing didn't go away. So then he did a biopsy on it, and he called me up and it shocked me because he had thought that originally was no problem whatsoever. And when he used the word melanoma, it threw me for a loop. And he said, we gotta get this taken care of. He said, it's melanoma. and. Uh, so I immediately went to a surgeon who deals with that, <clears throat> took it off, got it out, and fortunately <clears throat> got it all out that it never got into any of my glands or anywhere, it didn't get out. But <clears throat> I had to go through an entire unbelievable procedure cosmetically in terms of to get this thing back in shape. How the plastic surgeon did it is a miracle. That's Vital's wife, Lorraine. Took like a piece of skin here and then turned it down here and filled up the hole. And it's right in the crease here, so you really can't even tell right now. But when they first did it, we thought he'd, his face would really be terribly scarred. Do you remember what Dick said when yeah, he first saw I mean, it? We both were horrified when they first took out the melanoma and the hole that it left. But sure enough, in a couple of weeks and after the plastic surgeon, we couldn't believe how well it healed. And he did a really good job because it looked like Tyson, Mayweather, and you could take whoever else you want. Muhammad Ali just beat me to a pulp. When I really? looked at my face, I could not believe what I looked like. But then it all, you know, healed. Was that scary? Yeah, it was very scary. It was very... Uh, 
frightening. He was wondering what I was going to look like. I mean, it just was a mess. It was an absolute mess. But that was all part of the procedure. In fact, the surgeon that took the melanoma situation normally, normally takes care of getting you back looking okay to get, you know solve the problem. And she said that Dick, because of what you do in television and work in television, I'm going to have you go to a plastic surgeon who's terrific at this because this needs to be taken care of. And so I understood what was happening. But the big news was <clears throat> the cancer was gone. There was no melanoma, no cancer anywhere. And that was great news. We went to the Cincinnati um, football game up at Notre Dame. That's Vital's daughter, Terry. My dad loves Notre Dame football. And he just like wasn't himself. Like he got through the weekend and he was engaged and everything. But like as his daughter, I definitely was aware like something wasn't fully like really? himself. Yes, and um, but nothing like alarming. And then his, he started turning yellow. That was really the first sign that something wasn't right. And then uh, the situation was my urine and stools were different colors than what they should be. And then itching, oh my God. I had never itched like this in my life to the point my wife would say to me, do you know you're bleeding tonight from scratching so much? So when he came to you initially, explain what his symptoms were. Uh, he was fatigued, he was uh, having some pain, and he was, um, had a lot of itching from, uh, his bilirubin was quite high, he was jaundiced. That's Vitel's Dr. Rick Brown. And bilirubin high means what? So bilirubin is the breakdown product of blood. It is um, broken down in your liver and excreted in your bile duct into your um, stool. And it's actually the um, material that makes stool dark brown, otherwise it's lighter. But if it goes too high, it also gets into your skin. It gets into your eyes, so your eyes turn yellow, and his skin turned yellow. So he was jaundiced. Like that meant what for him? It means that there was something wrong with his liver. Or in this case, there was something wrong with his bile duct that was blocking the, the bile from leaving the liver to go into his uh, intestines. And the diagnosis was that I had bile duct blockage, but first they said bile duct cancer. And I was actually scheduled for surgery on a Tuesday, and bile duct cancer surgery is very serious. That essentially means what? Well, you know, it means essentially uh, they might have taken out some of your liver and a whole bit. I mean, the, the, the prognosis was very scary. Thoughts go through your mind, and thinking about your family, thinking about not basketball, thinking about living. There was a lot of fear at that point. Um, just fear like if he could even get through the surgery. I'm really lucky my husband's a surgeon, so he was able to like kind of process some of the medical stuff that was pretty overwhelming to all of us. To be honest with you, I think my mom and dad, like they completely shut down. Like they were just like, they just wanted someone to make the decision. My sister and I kind of felt like the burden of making the right decision. I mean, did you think he was going to die? I think it was, an, it was um, a possibility. I think the surgery was going to be incredibly complex. And at 82 years old, um, it made it even more elevated. Um, and just like the quality of life on the other side. I kind of oftentimes think about like when my dad does so much work with pediatric cancer, like I, I literally don't know how families go through that stuff with their kids. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just your mind just shuts down like on how that's gonna play out.
because you just, you know, you see someone who's scared, you're scared. Um, you know that there's options, but you don't know what the right option is. And we were hoping and praying that we made the right decision. Thankfully, in our scenario, it ended up we did not have to ultimately make that decision. And when they found out uh, it was lymphoma, correct me if I'm wrong, this was like a day before it, yes. surgery yeah. was well, supposed to happen. Well, they were putting happen. a rush on everything uh, because the seriousness of thinking it was bile duct. They said, we need to do surgery right away, like next week. And so everything was in motion to do that, to get it out as quickly as we could. Then after the tumor board met and they looked at additional scans, they felt like it wasn't a tumor on the inside of the bile duct or the straw. It was inflammation coming from the outside that was like making the straw flat. And that would indicate lymphoma. And that was a far better scenario. And was it merely luck that you guys found I, that out I the, guess right it before was, surgery? You know, luck or whatever you want to call it, God watching over us that, um, that yeah, we that were lucky that that happened, yeah. I never thought I would cry in jubilation when the phone rang about 5.30 on Friday and Dr. Chira said, Santa Claus has come early, he said, you know, bile duct cancer, it's lymphoma, very curable, very curable. And uh, my wife and I, my daughters, we're not celebrated. I never, <clears throat> I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would ever celebrate hearing you have some form of cancer. But it was like night and day the way they described to me the one versus the other. We went to this Italian restaurant here that my dad loves, and I mean, it's just life is perspective. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you'd never think you'd celebrate a lymphoma diagnosis, but we did, and, and it, because lymphoma was far more treatable, no surgery. The formula for the chemo was pretty, like, standard. It wasn't where the bile duct situation, there were many different scenarios or ways to approach the problem. And all he wanted to do was start immediately. He wanted to get on the road to recovery as soon as possible. And he also, in all honesty, wanted to know how it was going to affect his basketball game calling schedule. Really? Oh, yes. He, he was like, all right, let's figure out how we could work this so that I could still do the thing he loves to do. What was your reaction when you got that news? We were celebrating and you know, crying at the same time. You know, you're thinking like, this is it. He's probably maybe only has a couple of months to live. Two, this is great. Where are we going next year on vacation? Your first game back. Um, tell me about that and then the span of games you did immediately following. I was so excited when the doctors told me that they'll plan my chemo treatments around my schedule. I gave my schedule, and that was the initial plan. I did the first game, <clears throat> was UCLA and Gonzaga, number one against number two, was in Las Vegas. And I went and did that game, and it was so emotional. Dave O'Brien I worked with, who treated me like royalty, and it was so beautiful to see uh, guys I work with came there. It was... Sorry, there were times I never thought that day would come. 
mean, going through all the stuff, you know, from the melanoma to the lymphoma <clears throat> to the bile duct, they ended up, I had bile duct blockage. And that was eliminated by putting a stent. But, um, you know, going through all those, those periods, you have so much doubt about, you know, we're going to live tomorrow. I mean, never mind sitting at courtside. Anybody knows me knows that's one of the great loves of my life. After my family and my love, my wife and family, uh, being at courtside for a game and to sit there with number one and two. When I walked in there, the emotion just, the crowd gave me. Crowd and a standing ovation and going to the different games, Kenton University, North Carolina, Michigan game. They did a tribute to me on the big board. Fans standing up at uh, arenas, a bailer chant my name, Dickie V. It was very emotional, you know. For, for you too. For, for my whole family to see him there. Um, and, um, you know, just so happy that he was able to do that. They know that's what he loves to do. And he's always told everyone, I'm going to be do behind this mic when I'm 100 years old. And everybody, <laughs> we all, you know, that's kind of, that's his, his line. So to see him back there and happy again and doing that. But then again, the next thing happened was the vocal cords. When's the first time you realized there might be an issue again with the voice? Vocal cords. Oh, my God. It was probably, not the first game. Not the second game, when I did the Baylor game with <coughs> Villanova with John Chambi. Terrific guy, he tried to help me through it. We were having dinner there in uh, Waco, Texas, a beautiful restaurant. And there's about 12 of us and having a ball. I couldn't speak. I couldn't get a word. It was just brutal. It was tough. And I knew right then and there it was basically going to be over for doing games because for a while because I just couldn't. Couldn't get anything out. On that first visit to Dr. Zytel's, uh, again, and he's who treated you, you know, 12, 14, 14 years, years ago. ago. So you're in his Boston office, and he has this special endoscope that's looking at your vocal cords while you're watching on video, video screen yeah. what he's seeing. Um, what's your reaction when you see just the devastation to the well, vocal cords? Well, you know, you're just depressed. You're down. You're upset, you're frustrated, or everything you can think of. It is a, quite a dangerous problem that he has. He's coming through it just like the other tumor problems. It was called, it is called carcinoma in situ. So it's a breath away from being cancer. Um, and it's in a very difficult area to get to in the vocal cords. He said, Dick, I told you, you need to see me every year for a follow-up. And because you were feeling good, you didn't follow my orders. And this is why you're in the position you were in today. Because it's been, you know, slowly getting back to where you were 14 years ago by not, you know, coming to me and letting me maintain it. So, um, you know, he gave him a little scolding. But, but had he come annually like he was supposed to. It would have been even smaller and I would have been able to control it easier. He was somewhat fortunate that it was into a certain area of the vocal cords that was less affecting his voice, which is why he's speaking right now. If this had gotten to a larger extent, he might have needed radiation for it. The likelihood in his circumstances, he would have completely lost his voice. Initially, he could not get to see what the real problem was because there was so much inflammation. So he said, I need you eight weeks, eight weeks of voice rest and then come back. No talking. No talking. And, and I was using 
um, one of those pads, writing everything down, whiteboards, writing scream, and you go to a restaurant, you write down, you know, I had a big sign that said, people are gonna come over and say hello to me, you know, I'm saying, sorry, I can't talk, due to, you know, due to my vocal cord situation, and it's just so frustrating. I was talking to your oncologist, Dr. Brown. Um, he told me that your lowest point, in his opinion, from what he saw during the entire process, the, you know, melanoma, lymphoma, uh, vocal cord issues was not when it was thought you might have bile duct cancer and your days could be numbered, but was rather how he saw you get when you realized you weren't going to be able to talk again for a while. And Dr. Zytel's said he he wasn't surprised to, to hear Dr. Brown say that either. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, it's been my livelihood. It's been my <clears throat> what I'm known for. Here's what I'm known for, being a talkative kind of guy, going out and having fun. Not only just the games, but all my life. You know, <clears throat> it's funny. Somebody sent me a picture of my yearbook. They have a picture of me in my high school senior year. And underneath the picture says, everybody's buddy, man, everybody. And I missed that. I missed being me. I felt trapped. I felt trapped. I couldn't express myself. I just felt trapped. That was the hardest for him to deal with, because that's like him not having breath, Dick not talking. That's who he is. That's his personality. He's bigger than life. And without his voice, it's like, it's not him. It was such a, a devastating, like, emotional blow. Him not being able to engage and, and not be able to talk and us not knowing the outcome of that, it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely the darkest time. I'm not a medical professional, but I'm going to use the word depressed. Um, I mean, I would say he was emotionally defeated. At the depths of it, when he was his absolute lowest, how would you describe what he was like? Angry, irritable, sad, I mean, emotional. I mean, pretty much probably what you would expect, but, it, you know, I think it took a huge toll on my mom. How so? I just, I just think that she was there for all of it. And, he, you know, my dad, like, he, even when he can't speak, he's very much expresses, he's very expressive. So, like, if he's hurting, like, he's not hiding the hurt. Like, we were at Christmas Mass, and, um, and he just broke down during Mass. At that point, he couldn't talk. What did you think was on his mind then? Will I be here for Christmas Mass next year? Toughest year of, of your life? Oh, my God. The seven months have been by far the toughest I've ever had to do. Tougher than my eye situation. Tougher than anything. I, I, I got to despise all the scans, the blood work and all that stuff, but so needed, need them. Torture for you too? And, and me too, okay. you know, because yeah, <laughs> I was like the middle person, like nobody could read his writing. Yeah, she's, she's a trooper. She's the Hall of Famer in the family, not me. So it's Hall of Fame up there, <clears throat> but she's the Hall of Famer. And um, so I went those eight weeks, and finally when I went back, he was able to assess and analyze my problem. I got dysplasia. Uh, fortunately, he said that I'm going to do surgery, 
I'm going to get you back to where you were. I mean, if I can get 14 years like you did from the last time, that's pretty cool, man. That's pushing 100. That's pushing 100. Yeah, and this is just the start of the basketball season. This was December. So it was like the worst timing, but there was no alternative. You know, he couldn't go on like that, and he, you have to correct it. So he was really disappointed, and, um, but, you know, so he did go and got the surgery. You know, I'm in a healing process right now. I'm probably, he said, the last visit I had was just um, 48 hours ago, and was on about 80% in healing. He, he really wants me to be a little cautious, and, you know, I'm following his advice. Um, I get loads of requests now, radio shows, people I love and admire, people that have been so good to me for years, from Dan Patrick to Rich Eisen, so all these guys, and it hurts me to say to them, I'm just not able yet to do that length of time, and I know how I get so fired up, you know, and I just, I gotta listen to the doctor. In total, you couldn't talk for how long? Oh, it was three months, because after surgery, I had to go on four weeks, um, voice rest. Was there one moment during that entire span that you remember being the most difficult? Probably going into the last week of it before he went to Dr. Zytel. That's Vital's wife, Lorraine. I'll be honest, I was scared too. What were you thinking? Thinking like, you know, please God, let this, uh, let, let Dr. Zytel's do his miracles that he does, which he does. Um, to, uh, you know, get him back, get him back, uh, you know, working, just being who he is. And in the office, he said, now, Dick, slowly, just let me hear you count. Just count to 10 for me. And I think he was shaking because it's like, oh, my God, if something doesn't come out and I don't have a voice, you know, that's, you know, it's like, like I said, his, his breath, his air, his oxygen. And sure enough, one, two, three, said, come on, Dick, you can talk. Oh, oh. <laughs> and he had his voice, yeah. While you had low moments like anybody would through the process, there was a moment it turned where you were able to regain that positivity. Um, what was it for you? It was the moment that Dr. Zytels told me that you're going to talk to me. I'm going to get you back to being you. And when I heard that, it just gave me such a lift. But through it all, thank God. It's all worked out. I plan on doing a game. I have a goal. I'm going to do it. I will do a game at 100 years of age. Take that to the bank. I will do it. Explain the role that family has played in you know this process for Dick. Yeah, well, we've all been very close. And so when we have to make these trips up to Boston for his treatment with Dr. Zytels, I always have one of my daughters come with me. Everything that we went through, we went through together. I can't say enough about my family, my wife, my daughters, my sons-in-laws, my grandkids. Oh, my God, the love they gave me. And my wife and daughters, they went with me to every uh, scan I go, the blood work, they're at my side, and that means so much. Probably the real rock of the family is my mom. That's Vital's daughter, Terry. I know people probably may not realize that, but like she, she's just as rock solid as you could get, you know? So and it's a, a great balance. A, elaborate on that, if you don't mind. I mean, my dad wears his emotions on his sleeve. I think everyone has seen that even in this journey. But my mom's kind of like just there in the background, like when good news, bad news, 
just like they're pres again present, but present in a different way. Tell me about when you and Dick first met. <laughs> oh gosh, well, it, <laughs> it was in New Jersey, uh, and it was the Blue Swan Inn that doesn't exist anymore, and he came to ask me to dance. And I uh, was with my girlfriends, and uh, he stayed around and was talking and talking about sports and when he was a coach at the time, a high school basketball coach. And none of us were involved in sports or cared too much. Yeah. I said, no, thank you. Uh, I don't feel like dancing right now. And he came back three or four times, and it was the same thing. And then the last time he said, I'm going to get you to dance whether you like it or not. And I made a bet with my friends that I'll get you to dance. And he said, uh, they all put bets up on the table that I can't. And I told him I would. So I felt sorry for that. I said, OK, OK, that's no problem. Let's dance. So we did. That was the start of it. And uh, we've been married over 50 years. Oh, love, love at first sight? <laughs> it was, I guess. Was. Not, not okay. at first sight. I okay. can't say that, no. Because we were complete opposites, and we still are in a lot of ways. Um, sports was never part of my life. I've never played a sport. I never went to a sporting event. So it was like, and that was his whole life. Right. Slowly, I got acclimated to it and, and did learn to love it. I think it's good to have the balance of people that like different things. And as long as you're base core is the same of your values of who you are. Your likes, your personalities can be totally different. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good balance. And you might have just partly answered this, but why do you think it's lasted for 50 years? Because of the balance. If I was a type A personality and uh, similar to the way he is, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. It would be clashing. How do you think your mom and dad balance each other out? Completely like 180 difference. <laughs> and how does that work? I think it's the only way it works is that um, my mom is truly the most easygoing. Like I literally feel like God knew like when he like put them together because she just balances him. She calms him. She can speak honestly to him. I really feel like if there's anyone in the world that like my dad will listen to, especially in like tough moments, or it's my mom. I mean, I can remember just even things like even growing up, like when my dad was fired from the Pistons, and like there was like all you know, it wasn't social media, but like there was a lot of stuff. Like it was in the newspapers, and so like I don't know. My mom just kind of keeps everything like very like it wasn't traumatic in our household or anything. It wasn't. Um, and even as, and I would say like on the flip side of that, as my dad's like became a pretty popular celebrity, like in my high school, college years, like my mom's as like real of a person as you're gonna get. Like completely unfazed by the highs and the lows of any of it. What's he been like as a dad? People ask me that all the time. Like, what was it like growing up with him? I mean, is he like that? Yeah, he, he is. And I, maybe not all the sayings and what people see in terms of basketball, but in, in terms of um, being present. And by that, I mean, like, not just present, like, physically. Because when I was growing up, he was traveled quite a bit and was on the road. And whether it was coaching when I was young or when he was first starting with ESPN. But like, just super 
involved. And like, I mean, I can remember growing up, like, how'd you, you know, phone calls, how'd you do on that algebra test today? Did you, you know, we, my sister and I played tennis, so how'd you do, what'd you work on with your coach today? Like, just super engaged. And as a parent myself now, I reflect on that a lot, just because, you know, we're all busy in our lives and it's so easy to get distracted. I mean, I can remember in college, he would call me and say, like, who do you play tomorrow? And I'd say, like, Susie Jones or something. He'd be like, I'll remember her. You played her on court six at such and such racket club. She's a lefty, really good slice backhand. And I'm like, I played the match, and I don't remember that. But he just, he's super, when he's there, he's all in. And he's still like that with my, my kids, so his grandkids. He's very present in their lives. And so I think at the end of the day, we all feel it, and that's the way he shows his love. For somebody listening to this who's going through similar struggles, what tools did you find helpful to maintain a positive outlook? Well, people being so encouraging. Holly Rowe, who battled cancer big time, gave me some great advice. Be active. You know, I walked before I came into the interview, walking like crazy out there. I got calls from people that have cancer. Chris Mortensen sent me stuff. Rod Gilmore, ESPN, people that have been through the battles, giving me advice. And then all helped me, you know. Jay Billis wrote the most incredible story. Players uh, Tribune story, about, right? Yeah, Players Tribune. It was just phenomenal. But my wife and I had the tears, honestly. Dick's battle against cancer has been a public one, and he's a public person. And while some people may choose to approach it privately, that's not who he is. And so he was able to take all of us on, on that journey, the, the positive and the negative, and the, the good and the bad, and, the, uh, and, and how difficult uh, it's been on him, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, so I, I think when he was sidelined for a period, uh, just wanted to let him know how much we missed him and uh, we were always thinking of him and how important he is not only to all of us individually but how important he is is to the game. You remember what his reaction was? He, he texted me right away uh, and and his, he doesn't send short texts. I don't know if you know <laughs> right? that. Yes. He sends really long ones. And, and lots uh, of them. <laughs> and, and so uh, and then and then some of it was in caps. Uh, so I think I responded by, why are you yelling at me? Uh, but but it, it was very heartfelt and very nice. Jimmy V, uh, his words encouraged me as well. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You keep fighting. You keep fighting out there. If you battle that disease, you fight. You fight. You fight. Think positive and have faith. Have faith. Miracles do happen. I, I think it also helped tremendously your willingness to share on, on social your first-hand experiences now. Try to be as transparent as I can be because there's an ulterior motive for me. The motive is I want people, I don't think people understand what cancer patients go through. And not, people have a lot worse than me, trust me. Cases out there with kids suffering way worse than mine. But I wanted people to understand, it's not just that chemo treatment you go through. It's all the scans you go through. It's the weekly blood work, getting needles and blood taken out of you, blood counts, all the things that go, your family, the suffering they do. You know, we were kind of uncomfortable with my dad, like posting like every like treatment and all this stuff. And, um, and 
he was very determined, and that's just who he is. I mean, he was like, he was very comfortable with it. Like, there were times I'm like, Dad, like, your gown doesn't look right. Like, you know, you need to pull, like, it just doesn't look right. Yeah. He's like, it's fine. Like, you know, when you asked about, like, is, you know, he's not worried about the cosmetic part. Right. Thank God for social media, especially when he couldn't talk, because he would get messages from people like praying for you, thinking of you, sharing their story. They, I'm in chemo too. Like, let me tell you, he read every single one of them. He probably responded to most of them, and they all resonated with him. And it was why he did it more. Like, he like, literally got energy in his darkest moments through social media, through people engaging with him in that way. I am so grateful for that because I'm not sure how he would be able to have gotten through, especially the not talking part, when he didn't, if he didn't have that. I just think there were small touch points that people just like don't realize their little like message, like it meant something. And I think it's so easy for people to be like, oh, no one cares, or but like call that person, reach out to the person that like who's hurting, like just telling people you care, it, it like means something. So I mean, I do think the social media piece for my dad was super important. I think it really, it gave him a power. There's a Robin Roberts, she came to the gala one year and mm -hmm. she's like, she has this saying, make your, the, make your mess your message. And I feel like my dad did that. Like his mess was his message. Like it was just, and he was like, whatever, you're gonna see all of this. You're gonna see every blood draw, every like crappy part of this whole right. thing. Like, and, and it so, resonated with so yeah, many Yeah, because people. people were like, I'm here, I'm getting my chemo today, and I'm almost, like yeah, it like was like a band of brothers. Like it just was like unified people. I know it was a big decision for you to skip March Madness, but you made the, the goal, as your doctors told me, your May 6th gala. Why was it important to you to make that your goal? Well, it's my goal because we're gonna have a room of over 900 people. Some of the most successful people in the world of whether it be law, medicine, uh, athletics, sports, all in that room. And that's been my baby, man. 17 years ago we started with Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. Called him up and said, Mike, I got a little girl that passed away in my community. I wanna raise a million dollars, buddy. Mike, no hesitation, beautiful person. He's a dick. Just give me the date, I'll be there. And we raised a million five, I think. And last year we raised 6.5 million, and I'm hoping over seven this year. I think if you've spent any time with my dad, he just is the person that when he wants something, he just creates an energy around it. There could be all 10 of us want to go or do something, and he is the outlier. By the end of the day, we're doing what he wants. How does that work? I don't know how it works, but it happens. <laughs> and I wish I knew because we all are like, okay, we gotta stay strong. This isn't gonna, we, we all wanna like go here. Da, da. And somehow, some way, he gets his way. Even with the gala that happened like 15, 16 years ago when he first wanted to do the gala in Sarasota, I mean, I was definitely one of the ones that was like, I think it's too high of a ticket price. You know, it's not really a college basketball town. There's a million fundraisers in Sarasota. And the first gala was sold out. I think it was 300 people at my parents' house. And after that, they could never do it at the house again. It's always been at the Ritz, over 1,000 people. And sells out every year. And it's the highest ticket price in town. And people fly in. So he often proves us wrong. What do you think it is about him? 
I just think he has a contagious energy, and he just gets people to believe in the mission and his vision for something, and he will do the work. I don't think a lot of celebrity um, people that are passionate about a particular charity are maybe as involved in the day-to-day -day like he is. And so I think over time, people just see the authenticity of it. I don't know the real how much it means to him, and he's hard to say no to when you see like he's just, he's walking the walk. It's not just a talk. And I will do everything to my last breath, as I told Tony Colton, a youngster, I think I may have shared this with you story, but he was passing away, went to visit him at the hospital, called me to the bedside, and I'll never forget his words, and he said to me, Coach V, Coach V, you can barely hear him. Don't stop helping those kids so they don't have to suffer like me. And I told him, Tony, to my last breath, I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead. You can help me one of two places, v.org slash vital or dickvital.com, my website. Make a donation, any amount you can afford, any amount. And if you can afford it, we'd like to have it because we need it. Kids need it. We got to beat that disease. Don't let them suffer. It may be someone you love that's going to ultimately need that. I am flat out obsessed that no child should have to suffer. No child should have to go through scans of blood work and all that. They should be out there playing. It's just become a passion for us. It's just we've gotten to know so many children, especially because pediatrics is now what we're focusing on. That's Vital's wife, Lorraine. That have dealt with cancer. We've got to know their families. We've gotten to know them. and what they've gone through, and we've learned so much about the funding of pediatric cancer research that it is really fallen behind. I mean, there's a lot of research going on with the prostate and breast cancer and colon, which is all very, very important. But for some reason, a lot of the medicines they're using for children, we have found out, are the same medications they were giving to adults, and they've never really focused that this needs to be fine-tuned for, for pediatrics, and more research needs to go through, because a lot of the treatments is doing so much damage to these children. It's, you know, their organs aren't even fully developed, and they're poisoning them. So we've become very passionate, because we've gotten to know a lot of the kids and what they're going through, and so this is, our main thing that we devote ourselves to. I mean, I know these kids, I, I rip off their names to you, it means nothing. Weston Herman today sent me a text, father sent me a text, man, we're cheering for you, cheering for you, that tomorrow's gonna be a special day, ringing that bell, it's over. And here's a guy sending me that his son has had four battles, Weston, teenage kid, since the time he's nine years old, four brain cancers, Four times it's come back. He's had two surgeries. He just finished another year of chemo all year. And he's a tremendous hockey player. Oh, the kid is terrific, terrific. And you, I get inspiration from these kids. I sit there and I marvel, Graham. I marvel when I think about the fact, how could these kids do what I've been doing? In terms of, 
I can't believe those kids going through all those scans and blood work. And you've done as much as anybody for to, to, to support cancer. I mean, closing in on $50 million raised predating. Well, we're going to do that. Trust me. May 6th, put it down. Even if I have to write the check, we are going to raise over $7 million. And that'll take us to... $50.5 million that has gone for pediatric cancer research, which is not nearly enough. Only four cents out of every dollar that's funded for cancer goes to pediatrics. So if anyone wants to donate, just go to v.org slash vital. v.org slash vital. It goes through the V Foundation. What are you most looking forward to with it this year? Um, I'm looking forward to Dick getting up and... That, that's kind of been his goal of this whole year going forward to is that I want to be there. I want to have those kids behind me. Yeah. So, you know, and just say, I beat it and you can too. Through the conversation with Dick, he said that um, the past seven months have been the toughest of he, his mm -hmm. life. Um, curious about that for you. It's been, uh, you know, a tough year. For, but we we feel we've been so blessed physically, our family, and, and that's another reason why we feel we want to give back because we feel we have been so blessed. So Dick has always said, God forbid, it could be my family. I could be helping my family or someone I love. And and that was Jimmy Balvano's message too when he first uh, you know, was giving the SB speech. You could save someone you love. Thank God there was all that. Uh, you know, research for lymphoma that they have, you know, cures for it now. I'm sure 20 years ago they didn't. I mean, talk about like understanding and empathy. Like, you know, it's one thing to say you understand, but having walked, like, he's motivated more than ever. He's like determined whatever that dollar number is that means something to him, he's gonna hit it. And as soon as that closes on, you know, May 6th, he'll be ready for next year. That's all for my chat with Dick Vitale. As mentioned before, you can listen to our 2015 conversation wherever you get these podcasts. And in that sit down, Vitale reflects on the constant bullying he endured as a child and his early days on camera. Head to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger for much more content, including our interviews from this year's Dick Vitale fundraising gala. Jay Wright, Jay Billis, Chris Fowler, and Keyshawn Johnson are just a few of the notable people we talked with. And also, before you go, please leave us a rating and review. We're always excited to receive your feedback. Thanks again for listening.